Support for this program is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of Abismo, Farisimab SVOA. There's more to explore. Discover all the data at vabismo-hcp.com. That's V-A-B-Y-S-M-O-H-C-P.com. Welcome to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. My name is Sabin Dang, and I'm from the Retina Institute in St. Louis. Today, I'm joined by Preeti Rao from Retina and Vitreous of Texas and Houston. Hi, Sabin. Thanks for having me. As well, we've got Lydiana Godini from Retina Associates of Cleveland. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Today, we're going to be discussing a paper, Quantitative Assessment of Automated OCT Image Analysis Using a Home-Based Device for Self-Monitoring. AMD. This is by Jonathan Oakley and his collaborators, and this was published in Retina in March of 2023. Lydiana, would you mind summarizing this paper for us? Sure. So I'll give a brief summary of this paper. Um, this was an evaluation of a prototype of a home OCT platform that used an automated analysis software to detect and quantify retinal fluid levels in the intraretinal, subretinal, and or sub-RPE spaces in patients with wet macular degeneration. The goal of the paper was to compare the software with human graders in a prospective observational study. Um, they had 70 patients that were included in this study uh, using the prototype home OCT platform, and they obtained 136 scans from these patients. Four scans were unable um, to be included in the study because uh, of severe blindness, so the patients weren't able to obtain the scans. Um, like I said, these patients had a diagnosis of wet AMD, and they were undergoing uh, treatment with anti-VEGF injections. Uh, patients in this study had a brief training period of how to use the device, and then they were able to capture the images themselves, and this was done in a clinical setting um, and not at home, so that's an important point to keep in mind for later. So the main findings of this study, they looked at the fluid detection on a per-B-scan basis, and the fluid detection on a per B scan basis had an area under the receiver operating characteristic curves of 0 0.95, 0 0.97, and 0.98 for intraretinal fluid, subretinal fluid, and sub RP fluid, respectively. And then the fluid detection on a per volume basis had an area under receiver operating characteristic curve of 0 0.997, 0 0.998, and 0 0.998 for intraretinal, subretinal, and sub RPE fluid, respectively. Um, they also found that the retinal segmentation was performed extremely well by the software compared to the manual, uh, to the manual grading. And the main conclusion of this paper was that the software that analyzed these home OCT images agreed at a very high rate with the human graders in terms of the fluid detection. Lydiana, thank you for that summary. This was a complex paper with a lot of math, and I think you summarized the top line data very, very well. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at when I see these image analysis papers, I find it really fascinating that we can get these additional quantified metrics out of our existing imaging data. In this case, they're quantifying fluid volume. They're specifically quantifying subretinal, intraretinal, and sub-RPE fluid. Now, this is not something I spend time doing in clinic, uh, and I'm curious, Preeti, if we get this type of data in clinic where we have these numbers is this going to help you in any way manage your macular degeneration patients? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, Sabin. So um, 
I think for following patients with active treatment for AMD, it might be helpful, um, especially because our treatment regimens are work very well in AMD patients that a lot of these patients were looking at fine tuning of, um, you know, thickness maps. I think it might help a little bit. I think for us, we in our a busy clinic, we're looking at overall trends. Um, and so getting the actual number, I think with day-to-day practice may not like affect our um, treatment, but maybe home treatment may play a role. Great. And so, you know, that kind of leads to the next question when you talk about home monitoring um, and kind of adjusting treatment based on that. One of the concerns I have with home OCT as this technology's come about is who's going to look at this data, right? You had mentioned we're busy in clinic. So doing these nuanced numerical analyses is not really uh, something we do. We can't do it manually. If we had automated tools, maybe we would use that. But if we've got this onslaught of tons of OCT images from thousands of patients every week, you know, looking at through all that data is going to be really tough. Lydiana, the question I have for you is, is this the solution? Is an automated software like this the thing that we need to solve this problem? Um, I think right now this is, you know, very early. So certainly this is not a solution at this point, but I think if we can get to the point where, you know, there's AI systems where um, all of this data can go to an AI system and they can do the reading and kind of spit out an answer for you, then that might be more helpful as opposed to having this huge, you know, onslaught of data, like you said, which can become, you know, unmanageable. Um, But I think it's a good, you know, stepping stone for something that, could be obviously much improved upon in the future. Thank you. And with that, we're going to take a brief break. And I'll remind everyone, we're going to come back with more in-depth discussion on this paper. Support for this program is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of Abismo, Farisimab SVOA. There's more to explore. Discover all the data at vibismo-hcp.com. That's VA. BYSMO-HCP.com. Welcome back to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. Let's get into a little more in-depth look at this paper that Dr. Gonini just summarized for us. Um, uh, let's start off with Preeti. I'm going to kind of dive into the methods a little bit with you, if you don't mind. One of the things the authors mentioned was their scan parameters. They did a they didn't do a full cube. They did a five-line raster and they did a six-line star. What do you use in clinic? And do you think that these scan parameters are adequate to monitor a patient safely at home for exudative reactivation? Yeah, great question, Sabin. Um, in clinic, you know, I, I kind of use the the full volumetric analysis as a guide and, and compared to the previous visit. So having um, a few line rasters um, and the radial scans makes it a little bit difficult, I think, um, I think for a home-based system to uh, to be able to identify nuances. I had a patient today that was 2025 and just, you know, outside, you know, their one-line raster, um, they had like a very low-lying area of subretinal fluid that could have been easily missed if not looking at, you know, some dense scans. So it's something that I think uh, time will tell, but I think obviously more detail, the better. And they mentioned that in their conclusion with, um, by, by saying that having denser line scans or denser patterns um, would be a little bit more accurate. 
Great. So, you know, clearly in clinic, we have uh, OCT devices that can acquire images much quicker. This one was at 20,000 hertz. You know, we've got devices that are 80, 90, 100,000 hertz. So we can get those dense scans very quickly. But the advantage with home OCT is we potentially could get more time points, right? And so, Lidiana, I'm going to ask you, is, is that a worthy trade-off if we exchange the higher resolution and higher volumetric data for getting more time points instead of a snapshot once a month, every two months, now we're getting them every week or every couple of days. How's that going to change things? Well, I think that, I don't know if it's worthy trade-off. I mean, for some people you really do need, you know, the denser scan, the more scans, but um, I think that if the technology improves, I think that having it is um, very valuable because, you know, as the paper mentioned, there's some patients that in our current, um, you know, treatment um, algorithms, we probably overtreat some patients and undertreat some patients. So having more data and more time points can help us understand what patients can potentially go longer and what patients actually need to be seen um, earlier um, by, you know, either seeing the fluid levels earlier or seeing that they can be dry longer. So um, I think with further improvement, it could be more useful than it currently is. Preeti, in terms of using home OCT to potentially manage patients, um, I don't know if you are a PRN or treat and extend maintenance therapy, but what would you do if you had a reliable home OCT system? Would you put everyone on PRN treatments and just only bring them in when they need a shot? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm more in the treat and extend camp. So um, in terms of control, mainly because we want to, you know, as retina specialists, want to sort of be in control of the disease process versus the other way around. So I think this is a good opportunity to provide even higher order personalized medicine that we're kind of moving in the direction to in our field um, with gene therapy and, you know, um, you know, tailoring it to, you know, patient care. I, I think that it'll help uh, provide tighter control in terms of preserving vision. Um, but whether that means seeing patients more frequently or less frequently, I think time will tell. I think the COVID pandemic kind of gave us a good idea of how much of the treatment burden, how much we were doing ourselves versus how much patients actually need treatment. And I was actually kind of surprised that a lot of these AMD patients did pretty well um, versus you know some of the other disease processes. Depending, I had on that same experience. I, I think a lot of us had that same experience. We had some people that fell off the planet or couldn't get out of their nursing home and they came back and they looked fine. Um, but I think we all also have that rare patient, Lydiana, I think you said, you know, the, everybody has a personalized treatment pathway, but we have that patient that just crashed and burned with massive macular hemorrhage. And so maybe those extra time points would help us out. But here's the issue. I mean, this is a very specific population that would have to use a fairly complicated device, right? This home OCT. Uh, and in this study, the methods, these patients didn't use it at home. They came into an office, they watched a video on how to use it, somebody handheld them through using it one time, and then they acquired a scan on themselves, and they got these beautiful images with it. But the reality is, I don't know that our patients are going to be able to do that. Lidiana, do you, do you see that as being a barrier as well? Yeah, I certainly think it's a barrier. I think that especially in patients with more advanced stages or either dry or wet AMD, they probably won't even be able to figure out how to get the video to, you know, to play for them if they're visually impaired. Mm -hmm. um, I think for the earlier stage patients, you know, 
with very good vision um, or that are who have been treated and have responded well, I certainly think it's very feasible for them. I actually think that a lot of this population does pretty well. I think they're used to like talking to their grandkids and stuff on their phones. So a lot of them can use phones pretty well, but I think for the ones that have severe vision impairment, this will be really hard. So you have to have, you know, family buy-in or, uh, or somebody, a caretaker to help them. Like you said, otherwise, um, I, I don't think it's feasible for all of them. Yeah. So you said we need family buy-in, but if we want this to work, we need retina specialist buy-in. Preeti, I mean, what do you think? Are retina specialists going to adopt this type of technology? I mean, we're talking about two things, home OCT and AI. I'm going to split the question into Preeti. You talked to me about if retina specialists will adopt home OCT and Lidiana, I'm going to ask you if the retina specialist will accept AI. Go ahead, Preeti. Um, yeah, I think I think the jury's still out. Um, I think we won't know the answer until we figure out how um, how this can be more uh, you know applicable in the the real world. I think if it's identifying more patients, it's good, but it it also you know begs the question is is are are our clinics um, able to support you know, these clinic visits when they have, when they detect something on their OCT, are, are we built to capacity and do we need to change how our clinic flow or, you know, how our clinics are set up to be able to accommodate these patients? So I think that's what everyone's trying to figure out is how does this, you know, how are we going to accommodate a lot of these patients with, you know, self-monitoring? Great points. And Lidiana, what do you think about retina specialists adopting AI? Everyone's talking about chat GPT. Is this, <laughs> I mean, are we going to adopt this as quickly as the public did that? I think that as a field, we're very, you know, accepting of new treatments and new technologies. So I think that if it's shown that it um, can improve outcomes, and I think if it gets to the point where it is really good and it could be um, kind of an aid to us, I think certainly um, I would be open to it. I mean, you know, like you said, our clinics are just getting busier and busier. And if this acts as a you know, supplement to our clinic. I don't think it will replace us. You know, there's plenty of other things that we do in clinic that probably can't be done with AI right now. But I certainly think that, um, you know, if it's shown to be, um, you know, important or, you know, positively impact outcomes, um, I would think that most people would be accepting of it. Great. Well, Preeti, Lidiana, thank you so much for an engaging discussion on a complicated topic. And thank you, audience, for listening to the new Retina Radio Journal Club with VBS. Stay tuned for further episodes.